Series 2 of Oxtalks is now live. Join us for another series of business advice and insight wherever you get your podcasts. Hello there and welcome to Oxtalks. This is the fifth episode in a brand new podcast series powered by Oxlep, the local enterprise partnership for Oxfordshire. As well as discussing some key issues in the business place right now, these podcasts are designed to highlight the great work that Oxlep does and how Oxlep could potentially help your business in the future. I'm Howard Bentham, and throughout this Ox Talk series, I'm in conversation with some genuinely inspirational and influential leaders in the county who are shaping and driving business locally. They are also all really keen to stress the critical support that's available from Oxlep and how it could be crucial in helping your company or organisation prosper. Although naturally we're concentrating on Oxfordshire's businesses and issues in this series, you may well be listening to us in neighbouring counties or further afield in the UK. Many of the difficulties we experience here will be very similar to the ones you are facing where you are, I'm sure. So please do share your thoughts, stories and observations with us, plus crucially the solutions to the problems that you've found. Head to our social media where we can pick up on your comments and questions in forthcoming podcasts. It'll be good to hear from you. We are at Oxfordshire Let on Twitter and Oxfordshire Local Enterprise Partnership on LinkedIn. In this edition, our focus is on the small and medium-sized enterprises, the SMEs that are the engine room of the British economy, as we discuss backing business right now. SMEs account for around 99% of the business population in the UK, with a similar percentage here in Oxfordshire as a whole. Interestingly, that drops to just under 90% in Oxford itself, attributed by the City Council to the lack of workspace available for startups, a subject we discussed in the very first edition of Oxtalks with Andy Edwards of Makespace Oxford. SMEs nationally employed nearly 16.5 million people and in 2022 had a turnover of £2.1 trillion, which is just over half of the UK's total according to government figures. In this podcast, we will concentrate on the importance of providing support for small businesses in the current market, the role of environmental, social and governance (ESG) in business growth as well as creating a legacy. With us is a senior legal partner from KPMG Law, who has 20 plus years experience in the industry, a person who has run her own business and is a hit with the legal press, where she was previously named as a Hot 100 lawyer. I'm delighted to welcome to Oxtalks, Emma Gibson. Emma, welcome. I must just start with that Hot 100 lawyer accolade. Wow, what is it? And, and who knew that... The legal profession is so rock and roll. Yeah, so hot. Even, <laughs> even. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. It was a few years ago, but it's a, it's an award uh, delivered by a magazine called The Lawyer, and it's a huge national award, and they do it every year. And that year, I was a hot one hundred. There you go. Yeah, you've either got it or you're not. Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what is it about law that inspired you to follow a career in this sphere? Because I think you're original degree was in biological sciences, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And uh, and that was uh, when I was heading into a teaching career, which it wasn't for me, a fantastic profession, but but not for me. And therefore, I wasn't sure what to do. But in between teaching and a law degree and a, and a career in law, I ran my own business. And, and, and the sort of the two questions, you know, those two points are connected. 
in that I advise businesses. In my legal career, I've always advised businesses. I couldn't do any other type of law. I like working with uh, entrepreneurs, with with businesses, with people who are, are really running their own, you know, they're running their own show, so to speak. And that really stems from the fact that I run my own business, uh, and that taught me a lot uh, about life. Okay, let's let's explore this business then. What, what was it? Where was it? It started off in Southampton. So I set up a sort of performing arts venue with the with the support of a of a brewery, bringing in theatre and cabaret and music and and all of the performing arts into into a, a, a small well smallish uh, pub in in Southampton. Expanded to a second pub and and then out from there again. In in a slightly uh, you look back and you wonder how you had the nerve to do it, but. You know, I think like all people, you do at a point in life and you, you suddenly make that leap and you think, actually, I want to work for myself. I want to set something up for myself. So uh, I reached out to um, all of the breweries that were in and around. I said, have you got any pubs? I need two bars. I quite like a rehearsal space upstairs. This is what I want to do with it. You know, how could I achieve that? And, and uh, Eldridge Pope, who, uh, who were a brewery at the time, came back and said, yeah, we've got this pub in Southampton. It's boarded up. Don't know what to do with it. So I went and had a look today. It was perfect, perfect location. You know, uh, went to the bank and got my £15,000 overdraft. I got a year's rent free from the brewery and then put everything on the line to to start it up. And it, it, it went really well. Wow. Touch wood. Well, I mean, first off, well done for that. Because <laughs> all sorts of things happen in breweries. Uh, but to getting the money, that was, I mean, that must have been an incredible thing i mean it was a tough tough times 20 odd years ago you were doing this. yeah 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 so it's the late 90s early 2000s uh, so yes and a time of another recession so a recession similar to when we are probably now a consumer recession so yeah crazy you might say but anyway i went to to lloyd's a supporter if you like uh put up some um sort of guarantee and i got my fifteen thousand pounds and uh and, and that was it. And, and thankfully, I mean, the brewery were really good. They supported with the venue to start off with and, and a bit of work to, to transform it from the pub it was to the pub it became, which was very different. Uh, and, you know, yeah, it was, it was great times, actually. I always say that I've never worked as hard as I did when I was running my own business. And I think that's true of all, of all people who run their own business. And I think that's why I like working with them even now. So how did those experiences 20 plus years ago, running your venue and your pub and everything, shape who you are today? Oh, well, it talk, talk, sorry, it teaches you about resilience, doesn't it? I mean, absolutely, uh, how to be resilient in hard times. I mean, you know, there were times when I needed a good Friday night because otherwise I couldn't pay any of the staff and, you know, and I ended up, you know, having to do the, my own cleaning, I did my own beer management, all of those things because you were working on a shoestring because it was more important just to be doing it. So it teaches you and it teaches you about what it's like when the buck stops with you, you know, and, and, and when you're running your own business. I think that's the hardest thing about running your own business is that the buck stops with you. You haven't got anybody else to to ask or, you know, or to really share that pain that, you know, you are the one responsible for people's wages and, and all those sorts of things, which is hard work. And it also takes you through that, you know, the need for commercial advice, you know, and commercial support and, and also the benefit of a network, I think. You've got a strong background and focus on advising family-owned businesses, whether on succession or 
change and governance issues. Tell us about your interest in that area. It sounds like it has been very much shaped by the background you've got uh, and perhaps uh, some examples that you could share with us. Yeah, I mean, family businesses are, are fascinating and, you know, the stats will tell you that family businesses don't often uh, go through very many generations. But I'm, you know, I'm working with a, a business at the moment, I think it's on its sixth or seventh generation and yeah, which is unusual, but but fantastic going on years and years and years. And actually, the conversation is about who's the next generation and you know, for various things. And, you know, for example, like ESG or, or, or just just the changes of, of buyers or, or whatever in, in, in that sector, they're probably going to skip a generation. It may well go to the sort of grand generation as opposed to the next generation, because that's where the drive and energy is. And it takes a lot for a family business to accept that it's not always a linear process and that some members of the family aren't participative but do participate in other ways. And some people, you know, get to run it. There's a whole conversation about family businesses that can be had about, you know, how they pass things on, how they run a family, how they deal with Christmas dinner when things aren't going, you know, quite right and you've got intergenerational conflict. I mean, it's an interesting area of my world. Yeah, it sounds like you've got to build some pretty strong relationships to, to manage this, as well as obviously the knowledge and the experience of, of what you're trying to help them with legally. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's all about relationships, but it's about being able to relate to to them as business owners, I think, which is really important. And, and I think my background helps me do that. But also it's about giving people some sort of, you know, sensible, pragmatic, you know, support. And, you know, and you have a badge that says, oh, I'm a lawyer or I'm, you know, I'm a corporate lawyer or whatever. But sometimes you have to go beyond that badge and just become a business person supporting another business person you know, and just chat through some of those challenges. Not many lawyers will know how to organise their own beer supply. Let's uh, <laughs> let's look at the here and now and the key challenges ahead for SMEs. I mean, off the top of your head, labour issues, inflation, cost of doing business, they must be the top three at the moment. Yeah, well, businesses and, and, and you know, especially SMEs have, have, have come back off a really torrid time, haven't we? We've, we've, we've had obviously the you know, COVID, which came off of the back of Brexit. You know, we've gone into you know, supply issues with Ukraine and, and, and sort of now, you know, just to top it off, a sort of economic turbulence and, and you know, with huge inflation issues. So, yeah, I think businesses, all businesses, but SMEs, I think, which is my sort of you know, area of interest, are really finding that difficult. And I think what they're also finding is there's been a real development of, of the way sort of government support has flowed as well as you go through. Um, so, yeah, it was very clear in COVID, you know, businesses were supported by the furlough scheme, you know, the, the you know, the job retention scheme, you know, the various funding loans that were, that were offered um, without very much due diligence being done on the businesses at sort of SME level. And, you know, all of those things were put in place, in, you know, reduction in business rates, etc. That's all tailed off. But you're still in this huge, you know, economic situation, which are causing businesses to struggle. And and I think, you know, certainly from conversations I'm having, businesses are, you know, are, are really finding that some of that support, they feel less supported now than maybe they did in the um, COVID days. What more then could the government, and I'm talking both central and local government, do then to recognise the importance of SMEs and, and offer that? I mean, it's, it's really tricky. Isn't it? SMEs are just the lifeblood of, of, of UK business. You know, there were, there, were, there were millions of them and they did, you know, put trillions into the exchequer, you know, employ millions of people, an incredibly important part of that sort of ecosystem. And, you know, the government support 
you know, it's, it's not. I'm not. A, I'm not in the government. I can't really comment on on the specific schemes. But you know, I think businesses need support, not just financially. Business needs support in all areas. Um, you know, and that's about how they can change and develop in order to you know, to attract the right talent. How they can deal with their own inflation, how they can get monetary support, how they approach banks in order to get that support, what banks are, are sort of looking for. But it's all about risk, you know, and, and if you support businesses, it's not an infinite pot. Uh, it's not my pot to spend or choose what to spend it on, thank goodness. But, it's, you know, we all have to work with what we're given. Just on that cost of doing business, does an SME have any advantages over big business, if you like, when managing costs with potentially expensive wage demands that might come along? SMEs have an advantage of being agile. Yeah, SMEs, because they tend to be smaller, they tend to be a really great connection between the owners and the founders of that business and, and the people on the ground doing the business. And I think that, that gives them closeness to the market. They understand the market that they're in. I think on that basis, they, they are able to change uh, as they need to and, and, and develop. The, obviously, the disadvantages, they, they may not have the war chest that, that a big business may have, and it might not have the ability to, to access new markets. But again, you know, a, that's a positive and a negative because it means I think there's a world of opportunity for SMEs at the moment. And if we want to concentrate on the positive, you know, times like we're in at the moment, we'll see the rise of those resilient, creative, agile businesses. Uh, and, and I think as we go forward, you know, their ability to stay connected and in touch with their markets will stand them in good stead. Maybe that sort of leads on to what you might say to, to this question, because, I mean, obviously to do that, people are, are the crucial component. Is staff retention harder for an SME? Can they effectively compete for the best people in a difficult market? Well, I think they're going to have to look at competing on slightly different terms. And I think um, competing on salary might be harder for an SME compared to a, a business with a, maybe with a bigger war chest. But what SMEs can bring to the game, if you like, is that personal connectivity. I think people these days are looking for more and more connectivity with their employer. And also, again, back to that flexibility point, I think employees are looking for a slightly different offering uh, from their employer, which is just different from the mainstream. And I think SMEs have the opportunity to grab that. I've hit a certain point in my life, you know, I've hit that big 5-0 and, and passed it a little bit. So, um, but there's a huge workforce out there that, that are deemed to be too old, surplus to requirements. And I would, if I was running an SME now, uh, it doesn't matter whether it's a tech startup or whatever, there are people with some great business skills out there that are lovely, fantastic to get a, you know, a flexible job. Um, so there's, there's markets. People need to look differently at the markets. That's really interesting. I mean, what about the thoughts of growing your own talent through yes. apprenticeships uh, and training and whether that's the younger end of the market or the, the older end of the market, as, as we're talking about? So is there enough help and support there for SMEs to do that? I think my short answer to that would be no, because I don't think there is. Uh, but that's probably my personal view in that I do think training talent and developing talent is where SMEs have the absolute edge on, on, on bigger business. And I was talking to one uh, just yesterday who was absolutely glowingly saying that their workforce retention is greater than, than anybody else they know. And is also, and they put that down to the number of apprentices that they've taken on, the homegrown talent. And this is, this is a genuine 
SME, you could call it a family business, it's second generation, but the effort they're putting into those trainees, I think is they're seeing payoff and that has paid off with staff retention and, and, and the other things he was saying was, well, yes, I'm actually, but because it's my business, if somebody's a bit short, I can lend them some cash and it's, you know, it's fine. I can give them a day off because it, you know, they've got an appointment they need to get to because to do with the family. There's just that personal connection. And if SMEs make a connection with their with their workforce, I think that's where they can win. Yeah, I, I'm just trying to think whether that's actually counterintuitive that I might be a young person coming through on my apprenticeship and I want to go and work in big business. I want to go and change the world. I'm not going to do it in a family-run business because I know it's going to be passed down to the next generation. Is, is that a, a difficulty, perhaps? Well, I think it's two different points, isn't it? Because one is whether you're working for a, a, you know, a company, a, an SME, whether you think you have you can benefit from the incentives of you know, on an exit, on a sale, or, or, or that next generation point, or whether you want to be working for an incredibly creative company at the cutting edge of of technology or the cutting edge of business and actually want to be in what I might describe as that sort of sexy end of life and being able to say, actually, I don't work for giant corp, I work for this business and actually we're going to develop a new vaccine or we're going to do something which is really creative or in, in less in less sort of exciting or, or you know in other terms just work for a business that understands you that knows you've got to leave at three o'clock to pick the kids up and actually it's not a problem and it's not an issue you know it, it, i was just coming out going to come on to that about the well-being mm. aspect smes you would again just from the outside looking in would think are better placed to keep an eye on people's mental health physical health uh, and whatever else uh, yeah, I think, well, it depends, doesn't it, on, on the people and whether those people are genuinely connected to their workforce. I think, yes, they can. What they might argue is that they haven't got the infrastructure to then support and to deal with those or to deal with people being absent or, you know, because certainly when I was running my business, if one of my bar staff didn't turn up, you know, then I was... Rolling in, in sleeves routine. up. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, rolling my sleeves up. Yeah, yes. and, and, you know, and I, you know, many of the time, yeah, you know, ended up doing the cleaning at... Yeah you know, midnight or whatever, because you, because you are so reliant and you haven't got the financial resources. But again, working with people like Oxlep or, you know, and other organisations, there is support out there. Uh, and these days, employee packages, I think people could be a lot more creative when, when looking at, you know, support for, I mean, I work with, a, with an SME not too far from here, who's part of what they do is to help support a nursery, which is on the business park. They don't support it in full, but all of the businesses have clubbed together to, to provide support for a nursery so that the workers in those businesses can can participate of easy access support for childcare. So I mean, a, a collaboration, like if you like, on a, on a business park yes. that, yeah. that changes the, the dynamic. Yeah. And why would you leave that? Why would you not want to work for that business? Really interesting. You touched on financial resources. Does size matter when it comes to securing investment? You, you've obviously got your winning way. You, you talked over the, the bank manager and got your 15 grand. <laughs> so many years so, ago. So many years ago. <laughs> the banks seemingly are less likely to accommodate risk and maybe fund some of these great startups, certainly that we have in Oxfordshire. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think the banks are in a really challenging position, but I think everybody's in a really challenging position at the minute. And risk is where it all comes down to, isn't it? Whose whose who's responsibility is it to take the risk? But I also think that actually, what we're missing generally is a really good startup 
funding option. Uh, and I mean, at that sort of early stage point. So, you know, nationally, I would like to see a, a, a more directed business support for early, early stage companies. Um, that sounds a great idea. How would that work in practice, do you think? Well, somebody will have to accept that they might lose a lot of money. But they might win a lot of money, and and somebody you know who that somebody would be. Yeah, we get a earlier stage sort of you know third parties. So you've got your private equity or your venture capital, but in this area, in this area in particular, it's that funding at that sort of sub million, and then that million to three million type funding level. I think that's where there continues to be a funding gap, and and every opportunity I get to push that point, I try and push with uh, whoever I'm speaking to but that's the risky end of the business uh, and these days most of those businesses get started via yeah well Oxford has its university spin-offs that's a completely different different point but if you're like me thinking you want to start a business you know where do you go to uh, I, the banks would say that's not their responsibility to provide that 15 grand you know overdraft or, or whatever it was anymore because you know They've got their own issues and challenges. Uh, so whose is it? So you borrow the money, you get it off family and friends. That's why we see businesses, growing businesses with, you know, 50 shareholders because everybody's got a share and everybody put their 50 quid in or whatever it's going to be to, to get those businesses going until um, they can get to a certain size. But, you know, how we support businesses to get to the next level, I think, is the challenge. And what about finding the right workspace? As I said in the introduction, it's an issue, particularly in the city of Oxford, but it's something that a lot of businesses struggle with to, to find the right place to work at the right price. Yes. And I think that, that, that continues to be a problem. It's going to be really interesting to see how things change with maybe the more of that working from home and maybe more office space being there and available and, and open. It's not an area I'm an expert in. So uh, you talk to the experts on property, but finding a location, I mean, like I put that challenge back, you know, to the SME population out there. What sort of business space do you really want and how much do you want it for? And everybody can't have a business space if it's limited on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So, you know, are we looking at our weeks? Are we again thinking creatively outside of a box to work out where we can be sited and, and how we can make the best use of the property available? But property shortages in a place like Oxford, where you've got such um, challenges, well, good challenges, one might argue, of wealth of the university, of all the other things that hit the centre of Oxford, I should imagine, is really tricky for businesses. Good time to bring in Oxlep's communications manager, Rob Panting, into the conversation. Rob, good to see you. What kind of support has Oxlep been offering Oxfordshire's SMEs and how will that evolve in the future? Thanks, Howard. Yeah, picking up on a, a lot of Emma's points, really. From our perspective, it's it's really about listening to our business community moving forward. All businesses face very different challenges. I think for, for small businesses in particular, what we found is, depending on which sector you're in, your challenge might be very, very different. So we spoke about access to finance for, for startups. There is a challenge there. There's a lot of financial support given to businesses, particularly during the, the COVID pandemic, and not just from organisations like ours, but 
central government, other similar business support organisations. There was a recognition that businesses needed to be helped and backed at a very critical time. That's obviously going to change quite dramatically moving forward, touching on a lot of Emma's points around everyone stretched at the moment, and that includes access to, to finance for businesses. So for us moving forward, it's really about trying to support businesses with the with the softer skills and the the advice and support to help them achieve what they want to achieve. So access to to really good business advisors who have experience in working with um, small businesses, providing people with support in terms of managing finance, marketing their business, communicating what they do. That's really important for us moving forward. And I, I think probably for organisations like Oxlep, similar I guess, slightly smaller business support organisations, that's the type of support that, that they can offer. And I think for us, it's it's very much continuing to listen to our business community and, and find out what support they need. We can create business support, but it might not be what our key businesses need. So very much having that open dialogue with, with Oxfordshire businesses. Share a, a success story or two then uh, from uh, the business support that Oxlips offered locally. I, I think probably collectively it's worth pointing out what we've achieved as, a, as an organisation. So off the back of COVID between uh, March 21 and April 22, we provided around about 6,000 hours of business support across all range of businesses, really detailed getting to know businesses, understanding what their challenges are and offering that, that first-hand uh, support. That support is a value as well. It's it, We calculated that it's worth around about £3.5 million, quite significant uh, support offered, support that, you know, you'd be paying that amount, as the, as the figure suggests, working with, I guess, private business support companies. So we're, we're, we're very proud of that. And also, in addition to that, we've safeguarded jobs through our support. Um, we think it's around about 400 um, jobs that we've either safeguarded or, or created, in fact, during that sort of 12 to 15 month period that we've recently analysed. So I think collectively we've made a big impact in Oxfordshire. Obviously there's other grant schemes that we've coordinated to um, things like the Business Investment Fund that we that we ran off the back of COVID. More recently, the Vista Economy Grant Scheme, which um, I think that's somewhere in the region of £650,000 worth of support to tourism-based businesses. So we feel as though we've made an impact. We're not the only organisation that's that's made an impact. KPMG would have made a, a huge impact, as will have other organisations. I think, uh, I guess to round off on that point, there's a great deal of collaboration going on. Emma touched on the collaboration in terms of small businesses working more closely with the with the nursery example. I think from our perspective, there's there's a greater understanding that where where an organisation perhaps can't offer the support that people are very happy to refer to other organisations, particularly in our world where there's probably not so much of a commercial reliance, I suppose. Yeah. We're very, very happy to um, to signpost people to the right support. And ultimately, you know, it's a benefit to Oxfordshire businesses. Emma, you've got uh, local enterprise partnership experience in Berkshire. Mm -hmm. uh, the Rob's words resonate with what you've come across elsewhere? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, arguably the purpose of the, of the LEPS is to support those businesses and those smaller businesses in their patch. I think we have to always avoid being sidetracked by the big and you know, big big monsters that are out there. But actually, yeah, direction of focus very much on supporting smaller businesses, you know, and the economy, our local economy. That's that's the purpose of LEPS. I'm fully supportive of of, of all the work that the LEPS are doing. 
Emma and Rob. But thank you both for the moment. We'll chat again shortly. Good to have you along for Ox Talks, the brand new podcast series powered by the Oxfordshire Local Enterprise Partnership. If you want to get in touch with the team at Oxleb to comment on what you've been hearing, find us on social media. We are on Twitter at Oxfordshire Lep or via LinkedIn, search for Oxfordshire Local Enterprise Partnership. Perhaps you run a company or organisation that is looking for some specific help or simply need a steer to the most appropriate business advice available. Why not try the Oxlep Business Support Tool? Oxlep's Business Support Tool is here to help your company. Whether you're just starting out, growing or ready to take on a new business challenge, if you're looking for the latest advice and support, complete our Business Support Tool today and get set to receive a bespoke action plan for your organisation. Head to OxfordshireLEP.com to find out more. Let's chat more to Emma Gibson. Let's focus on three words that are very important to you and have become very important in business more widely, environmental, social and governance. Why have these become a, a top priority for businesses generally, but SMEs specifically? Well, I think it's one of those things that's been rising and on the horizon for, for a while now, but absolutely it's taken centre stage. And I think it's push has, has come from another number of avenues. There's a top-down push. So we've got uh, legislation and regulation being applied to those really, really large businesses, which are quite often investors or suppliers of or, or, or customers of our small businesses. And therefore, they are pushing down some of the obligations that they're under to deliver on, on you know, evidence that you know, we are small businesses are compliant or, or at least heading in that direction. And then, of course, the you know, we talked about it, but funding and, and the funders and, and there are definite schemes now where you can get better preferential rates if your ESG strategy is sort of clear and evident or if you can show a bank that you are green or, or your, your credentials in that space are, are looking good. And then if you want to spin it when you come to an exit or a business is thinking, well, what's my next level? Do I need some investment or or do I want to exit altogether? And we are anecdotally, and I think we're trying to pull together the stats on it, but we are beginning to see slightly higher multiples for businesses. We're seeing more interest, for example, in private equity where they could also tell a good news story. Uh, so that piles the pressure on SMEs to look at ESG as, as, a, as part of their strategy. And of course, the refrain I hear from SMEs is, we're an SME, you know, there's very few people in the management team, we're a small business, how on earth and what am I expected to do and how do I develop it? And I think the thing that we need to do, therefore, is to, is to wind it all back and take it back to the business and say, actually, you're probably doing a lot of this already. You're probably already, if you ignore the E bit for the minute, but if you take the S and the G, you probably already contribute to local charities. You probably already do things as part of your work community. Uh, so you're already doing the S, you know, the G, well, you know, there's a level of governance, but you probably don't need to worry about that too much. But you're running yourself as a professional business. You're, you're fighting your filings on time. You're, you're thinking about you know, you and, and how you professionalise your business. And therefore, it brings you down to the E. And then what I've been finding when I've been talking to businesses, actually, they can do those businesses that have premises, they can do, you know, things like change to the LED light bulbs, you can do small things. And some people forget that you can do small things to create a strategy. It doesn't have to be this huge, you know, 
all singing, all dancing, you know, 400 page website and a, and a complete package. Actually, all you need to be doing is to, just showing and evidencing what it is you're doing on a day to day basis. And then, of course, you've got businesses that do fulfill that space, you know, businesses that by their very nature, what it is they are doing will in some way lead to an energy reduction or a waste reduction or, or some other part. And they are by nature, ESG businesses. And those businesses need to be really playing their credentials and, and not hiding that and, and really putting that as centre stage. You know, sometimes those are businesses that, that might not sound green when you look at it just on the surface level. But when you dive into it, you find actually, well, if you did that, then isn't the implication this and, and isn't the benefit why? And then you pull that together and think, actually, that's exactly what ESG's doing so i think it's a really exciting space for for small businesses and i think the next generation or i, I lose track i'm so old now but you know wherever we are on on, on what employees want but you know, we're certainly finding that you know people are asking us now when i do an interview people want to know what we are doing you know how we are managing our waste you know how are we talking about energy reduction you know they want the answers to those questions and i think you know small businesses need an answer to those but actually can lead the march on some of that perhaps without stereotyping here people that run smes maybe who are of that older generation might look at this as a another layer of admin that mm -hmm. i really don't need it's nowhere near our core business i'm here to try and keep people in employment and make whatever we're making is that how some leaders view this that it's another layer of admin I think it can certainly be perceived as another layer of admin because it is another layer of admin, but it, it depends. I mean, we've seen small businesses, you know, uh, create a sort of, a, you know, an ESG employee forum. And then we've seen real animation amongst employees, you know, which which has taken the, the employer, so to speak, a bit by surprise because people are really interested in it. And actually they do do, you know, food banks and they do do all of those things, small things maybe. But actually, if you look at it like that, that's not administration. That's about empowering a workforce and driving connectivity and, and driving employee retention. You know, it could be about in driving sales or it could be actually getting to a point where it doesn't catch you out. And this is a conversation I have, which is you don't want to get caught out if your business and you're growing and it then it's really driving somewhere and it's you know it's, it's looking like it's going to be really successful and you want to sell into x but x are going to demand that you have a b and c then don't get caught out just start working just quietly in the background on a b and c just don't overgear it just take it for what it needs to be in the level it needs to be in and you'll find a meeting i think i'm trying to prevent problems you know in the future or challenges to those small businesses and also look at it as an opportunity if you can shout about your esg credentials it's not going to do you any harm when it comes to potential investors when it comes to potential funding or potential employees yeah that's really interesting around the funding uh, side of it legacy i know is another really important element of any esg strategy and it's something that you're really passionate about as well they think about the the footprint that they're creating and, and I guess the footprint they're leaving behind. Summarise what leaving a legacy means and what businesses should consider in terms of the legacy that they leave. Yeah, it's one of those interesting sort of, if you like, abstract 
sort of yeah, um, areas exactly. and, and when you're and, and I've been there you know, when you're running a business and the only thing you need to make sure is you've got enough money in your bank to be able to pay the salaries that you've won the next contract that you've got it signed that you can deliver it becomes a real point so I think it is probably at a certain point in time that you get to that time we have space to think about your legacy um, and for me it, it, I think it's about being conscious you know be conscious when you're in every interaction be conscious of what you're doing, how you're saying it, what impact you will have and what impact you you leave. Because it's really important, I think, that people are aware of themselves and what, what it is they leave behind. So if you're an SME in Oxford and you, you know, you're, you're driving a, a fantastic business, well, the legacy you're going to leave behind is that you've employed people. They have families, they have children, their children know that dad or mum is employed by ABC Limited, you know, and, and it does good things or it does as whatever. And that's part of your part of your legacy. It's not a it's not like a plaque on a wall. It's about how <laughs> how you have impacted yeah. um, the world and, and the people around you. Fascinating. What's your advice for businesses then when setting goals and and how should they be measured? Oh, setting not, uh, goals. Not plaques on walls. Not plaques evidently. on walls. I'm not, I'm yeah. not really a big, big fan of <laughs> plaques on walls. Um, I think when you're setting a goals and when businesses are thinking about their business plans, and I think businesses need to go back to their business plans time and time again. It's not the thing that sits on the shelf. You need to come back to it for an analysis to whether you've deviated from or whether you're heading towards or whether you need to do any of changed in order to, to get to that sort of success point. Uh, and therefore, I think goals should be stretching, but realistic. I think you should have a range. I think you should always have your dream because I wouldn't want an SME to lose sight of their dream. You know, why are they doing it in the first place? Because running a business is hard work and it's really lonely. And therefore, you know, when it becomes absolute trudgery and you can see no so no light at the end of the tunnel, then you think you've got to look after yourself uh, and go back to your dream and work out whether your dream is still your dream and whether it's achievable. But behind that and all the boring stuff that we have to do, then yes, you know, it's about setting setting achievable metrics around what really counts, which is got your income stream have you got your customers have you got your suppliers have you got your employees you know it's it's sort of bread and butter and i guess smes have got the opportunity to i mean if you're talking about a handful of employees in and a lot of smes you you can involve them in yes. setting those goals and, and i'd imagine that's a really key part of it to, to get people on site yeah exactly and i think it's that in employee inclusion i think which is the point we touched on previously it's about how engaged the you know, the connection is between you know the SME owner founder and the people that they're working with so that's why you get such tight groups isn't it I mean I work with SMEs that have you know moved past that in the back of a garage and you know two or three people and then it becomes three or four and then it becomes ten and then it becomes twenty and and, and you get through but those those core people I think are fundamentally important and it's about those relationships they're absolutely key. Rob Panting from Oxlep is here with a couple of questions from our social channels. Rob, what are people saying? Thanks, Howard. Yeah, we've, um, we've had quite a few questions sent through, a lot focused on the access to finance, which I think we've probably covered off you know, in great detail during this recording. So there's a couple of questions around, um, I guess, the operational side of, of businesses. So one in particular around, have you seen businesses diversify their operations following the pandemic, I think, you know, it's fair to say that businesses always look for new opportunities when they can. But given that businesses were perhaps forced to look at different ways of doing things, 
I guess, a reflection on that really in terms of the businesses that you speak with? Yeah, I think um, it's the advantage of an SME and also, I suppose, in many ways, the disadvantage. But but the advantage of an SME is that it has the ability to be agile. And, you, and you're absolutely right. They were challenged and some of them were forced to change what they do or how they did it, actually, during the pandemic. And I think we're continuing to see that because businesses are continually um, being forced to change in what they do and how they do it with with the current you know cost of energy you know office locations not locations working from home all of those sorts of things so yeah we're definitely seeing uh, businesses that have, have, have changed maybe their route to market who've, who've looked uh, to go more online less online you know or various ways that the businesses have really had to had to diversify and again it's about taking their employees on that journey and not losing sight of what it is they were trying to do because ultimately they're still trying they're still the same business trying to do the same thing it's just how they choose to go about doing it and another question we've had talks about the digital side of, of businesses although picking up some of the points that you made earlier around business can be quite a lonely mm. lonely place the question was around how important is it for smes to have an effective digital presence but is it also equally important that people remain very mobile in terms of collaboration, networking? Is it really just a, a combination of all of the above? <laughs> well, I think, yeah, the combination of all the above is is, is probably where I'd head to on, the, on that one. I think you're right. I think we can no business these days, no matter what type of business you are, can do without a digital channel or digital you know, outlet, uh, whether that be because... They want customers to find them or potential customers to find them or they want to market their wares uh, or they just want to interact on, on, on that sort of sales external side. And, of course, interaction with their employees because, I mean, you know, with lockdown and, and, and everybody having to work from home, uh, that led to a transition and, and therefore, you know, they needed to be digitally upskilled. And I think that has really happened. It happened, in, you, know, in, in, you know, in lots of firms, including KPMG, where all of a sudden nobody could get into an office and how do you couldn't upskill and and change the dynamics with people who weren't used to to working in that way so i think that's true with digital but i think on that network point it's you know it's really important i think that smes realize and appreciate the value that they could all bring to each other and the networks that they have and also exploit if that's the right word those businesses around them that are able to offer advice whether that be accountants whether that be lawyers whether that be you know Oxlep for example those people who are running seminars who are running you know workshops on you know how to upskill your employees how to obtain finance all of those things are going you know people should be attending those if they can because you don't want to get too narrow and just rely on Mr Google because Mr Google doesn't give you real life experiences <laughs> And also, I really like the idea that, you know, SMEs talking to each other because they're all going through shared experiences. They might have completely different businesses, but they're all trying to hire, trying to sell, trying to contract, trying to get to the next level, trying to get some funding. And there are parallels across all of that. And being able to find somebody to moan to or to cry on their shoulder or to have a laugh with or a pint or whatever is, you know, is a, is a great thing. I, I think just very briefly before I go back to Howard, that's one of the successes we've had over the past two or three years. Um, we coordinate a number of peer network 
groups. So bringing together business leaders from a variety of different sectors. And, and actually, that is what they get out of those peer networking groups, not necessarily to develop a new strategy for how they want to yeah. run their business. I'm sure that's what some people have achieved off the peer network program. But but actually, it is that forum to discuss problems, challenges, opportunities, and whether that's delivered in person or, or digitally. So we've got a combination of mm. the two. Actually, that's a lot of people have spoken about the value that that's brought to them. Yeah. So I would certainly concur with that. And I've run a, a workshops before where you suddenly find that, you know, business A is talking to business B and, and actually they're thinking, actually, I could invest in this business and this one could invest in this. You find a lot of cross-fertilisation amongst them uh, and sharing of, 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 of talent. It's Oxford really is a good. small place. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, great stuff. Thank you. Some final thoughts from you, Emma, if, if we may. What more should be done then to back business given the current economic climate? Well, I think it doesn't always come down to money, although money is always is always is useful. And we need to make sure as a business community ourselves that we are ensuring that those businesses are accessing the finance that's available in every way possible. And, you know, and I think you know, we need to just really ensure that businesses don't leave anything on the table. And also, I think from our point of view, from Oxlep's point of view, from businesses like KPMG that are, that are in and working this area, we need to be really extending and, and working out what we can do practically to support these businesses and also provide a safe haven for businesses to, to come and talk and, and to share ideas and not feel they're always being sold to or it's always, a, you know, and we get it at KPMG, well, you're too big, you're not interested in us because we're just an SME. Well, you know, I've being an SME, I will only work with SMEs. And actually, we've got some great programmes that, that we run to support those businesses, um, which don't cost anything. They're just about how we support our community. And I think we just need to ensure that everybody involved works to the same aim, which is to really ensure that we drive business energy and growth in our patch. And finally, a couple of top tips then for Oxfordshire businesses wanting to grow in 2023. Uh, be flexible. Be agile, look to your workforce and, and really find different ways of accessing talent, obtain all the cash that they can from governments, from local governments, from all avenues to really find themselves supported and to really build on their network to ensure that they have the support both personally and, and as well as professionally as they grow their business. Emma, it's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Huge thanks to Emma Gibson, senior partner at KPMG Law. A big thank you also to Rob Panting from Oxlep too. And thank you for listening to Ox Talks. This is the penultimate podcast in the series, and we hope you'll tune in to more. Find us where you normally get your podcasts. Please tell your friends or colleagues. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a review. Feel free to share your thoughts and suggestions on our social channels. It'll be good to hear from you. Remember, business support in Oxfordshire is just an email or a phone call away. The Oxlep Business Support Tool can signpost you to expert help in a matter of minutes. It's definitely worth taking a look. Find it on our website, oxfordshirelep.com. Do tune in again to the series when we'll be exploring more current issues affecting businesses in Oxfordshire. And if you didn't catch the earlier editions of Ox Talks, hear from the CEO of Blenheim Palace, Dominic Hare, on the importance of the visitor economy, and Tim Bestwick from the UK Atomic Energy Authority discussing Oxfordshire's place on the global technology stage. All are definitely well worth a listen. But for now, from the Oxlep team and from me, Howard Bentham, it's goodbye. <laughs>